Different events in depth discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the rights to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. Well, thank you for joining us right here on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. You're with me, Benjamin Moshatama, on our frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa. And also, if you're listening to us on DSTV, you're on Channel 902. www.channelafrica.co.za is our website where you can stream us live as well. Thank you to our African Dialogue family. Thank you for being part of our program. Hey, let's quickly move on and get our news from Musa. In the headlines, Mali's High Court rejects a treason charge against President Ibrahim Boubacar Keita. A new UN report reveals children in the Central African Republic are victims of relentless violence and UN Human Rights Committee to look into rights violations in South Africa. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musa. Mali's High Court has rejected an attempt by a civil society collective to have President Ibrahim Boubacar Keita face a charge of high treason. The BIPRAM collective, the Popular and Pacific Intervention Bloc for the Reunification of Mali, accuses Keita of high treason and calamitous management of the country. BIPRAM's announcement that it was filing a complaint last week sparked controversy in Mali as intellectuals and a politician cited as members or signatories denied having any part in it. A new UN report has found that children in the Central African Republic have been victims of relentless violence in 2013 and 2014. The country has been plagued by successive waves of intercommunal violence. The UN has documented the killings of 333 children and miming of 589 in brutal attacks targeting communities for reprisals or other motives. It's believed that hundreds more more were killed and injured by machete, firearms and other weaponry, and in some incidents children were beheaded. Meanwhile, the UN has documented 500 rape cases and other forms of sexual violence since 2011, including cases of rape and sexual violence on children committed by international forces and United Nations peacekeepers. The South African Human Rights Commission has asked the UN Human Rights Committee to look into rights violations ranging from xenophobia and racism to gender-based violence in the country. In a statement highly critical of the government's track record on human rights, 
The SAHCR has also flagged prison conditions and the use of force during protests. It says a report submitted to the UN office by the government is inadequate and outdated. The SAHRC recommends that the committee call upon the government to provide up-to-date information regarding steps taken to address issues laid out in the report. In South Africa, we have made... The delivery of food and other aid items are underway in three remaining besieged areas in Syria, according to humanitarian agencies in the region. More than 16,000 people living on the outskirts of the capital city, Damascus, are expected to receive supplies. Last Friday, a humanitarian convoy was able to assist 20,000 people with food and medicine in three other suburbs of Damascus. And finally, South Africa has made a lot of progress on women's empowerment and gender equality, but falls short on implementing laws and funding equality and empowerment initiatives. That's according to the Executive Director of UN Women, Pumzlem Lambunguka. She was speaking on the occasion of International Women's Day. She's called on countries, particularly South Africa, to shift away from the business-as-usual approach. South Africa, we have made a lot of progress, definitely not in legislation, but we also have two of the most serious challenges that we see in every country. Poor implementation of the laws that we have and poor investment uh, and funding of the initiatives that, are, that would otherwise make significant changes. And of course also impunity. We still in South Africa do not have uh, access to justice that is adequate to women under all circumstances. Recapping the top stories, Mali's High Court rejects a treason charge against President Ibrahim Boubacar Keita. A new UN report reveals children in the Central African Republic victims of relentless violence and the UN Human Rights Committee to look into rights violations in South Africa. Channel Africa has some good news for you, the listener. The station now has an interactive voice recording system. This means if you want to leave a verbal message, you can now call on plus 2783-913-3000. You will be prompted to push a number for the language of your message. For English, you just press 1. So if you want to leave us a message which we can play in a later program and answer your question, play your message. Remember to dial plus 2783-913-3000 and wait for the prompt to press 1 for English. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Yes, you are listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. My name is Benjamin Mushadama, and uh, today you are listening to us right here on uh, DSTV Channel 902. And remember, on shortwave, our service into the continent of Africa, we are on the frequency 9625 kHz on the 31-meter band to southern Africa. You can also stream us live uh, daily on www.channelafrica.co.za. Remember, we come to you at 11 o'clock Central African 
one time. That's 11 o'clock to 12 o'clock every day from Monday to Thursday. Well, I'm excited about today's show. Today we're looking at International Women's Day, which has been declared by the United Nations. And the theme this year is Planet 5050 by 2030. Step it up for gender equality. That's the main theme. And with this theme this year, the focus will look at fast-tracking the momentum of the implementation of the new sustainable goals. The focus will also not just look at the equality for women, but will look at how do you also empower young girls in areas such as inclusiveness and also uh, quality education and protection of their rights. So it's very broad this year, this particular theme. So we've got a couple of ladies in our studios and on air and in our lines just to give us their views about the importance of this particular day. We've got on the line Anna Kisuku Shongwe, who is from UN Women. I've also have the director of the Women's Legal Center, Huda Abrams Faker, who is joining us from Cape Town on the line. We've got Sena Butol, who is the regional gender and gender-based violence advisor at the United National Population Fund for East and Southern Africa Regional Office, that the United Nations Population Fund for East and Southern Africa Regional Fund. In studio, we have Dr. Janet Rogers, who is from the Africa Diaspora Forums League. So we've got a lot of talking with all these four girls uh, who are going to be part of the conversation. But let me start with you, Senabu. Thank you for giving us your time here in Johannesburg. Uh, let us know just a little bit about the importance of International Women's Day. Thank you so very much. And uh, happy International Women's Day to everybody. Uh, it is important for the women's movement uh, to to take stock, uh, to look back mm. at the achievements and uh, see the gaps to move forward. It is the time for celebration for the women movement. Mm. And what are we talking about, Senabu, when we're speaking about a women's movement? What is the main thing that actually distinguishes this movement that you're talking about? We are talking about everybody that is concerned about gender equality, about women empowerment, about making sure that women are part of the broader agenda, the development agenda. We are talking about government, civil society organizations, women in faith. We are talking about women in, at community level, grassroots women, women in, in, in private sector. We are talking about all kinds of women and men for gender equality. This is what we call the women movement. Yeah, okay, let's move on to you, um, Anne, from UN Women. Tell us a little bit about the mandate of UN Women, because many people don't understand it. And tell us a little bit about what UN Women will be doing uh, this year as part of this theme, especially on this special day. Thank you so much, Benjamin, and thank you to our listeners. Um, International Women's Day is the first uh, opportunity we've had since the General Assembly on the, in September 2015, where the world agreed to come up with a new set of sustainable development goals that the entire world will be accounted for. And of those goals, one of them speaks specifically to gender equality and women's empowerment. We look at issues such as discrimination of women. We're looking at what are the opportunities to actually grow women in the economy. Um, the work of UN Women is generally around women's empowerment and gender equality. I'm sitting right now at the Johannesburg Stock Exchange where Ring the Bell um, for Gender Equality has just happened across 34 stock exchanges across the world. Mm. And the conversation here has been, how are we actually transforming business 
so that business actually pays attention to the role of women and how women contribute towards the economies of our countries. Um, there's a study that I just uh, read this morning from, from Ernst & Young that shares that those uh, corporates, those companies that have 30% of women in their leadership position are actually changing and bringing in increasing profit to those companies by 6%. Mm. So women are good business. Mm. So we're looking at women in terms of leadership, but we're also looking at women's contribution at the lower end. So what's happening with small businesses? What is happening with entrepreneurs? What's happening with young women in rural areas? Um, the issue for us is that this is no longer an issue of it's a nice to do. Mm. This is an economic imperative. Sure. It is a political imperative. Sure, sure. And that's what we and you, what you and women are responsible to, to monitor and account for. Mm. Now, let me move to you, Dr. Janet Rogers, in our studios from the Africa Diaspora Forum. I know that you've just re- recently launched your Women's League. So exciting. I know that the Africa... Uh, Diaspora Forum really focuses at integrating people in society, especially after the xenophobic attacks in South Africa. Why is this Women's League important and women empowerment important to this conversation as well of integration within societies? Um, Thank you so much, uh, Benjamin. And uh, it is true that the African Diaspora Forum has formed a wing of the African Diaspora Forum Women's League with the one purpose in mind, actually, to empower the migrant, the migrant woman in, into the society because they are highly, highly marginalized. The inequality is all there. They cannot access anything. They can't access medical care. They go to the hospital. They can't ac- access that. Education is a problem. And the thing is, the one thing that uh, people need to understand is that the woman is always the one left holding the baby. Mm. And therefore, she has to think compound and say, how do I make sure that these children eat? Because it is a responsibility that comes with her role. Mm. And therefore, we found that the African woman in the diaspora out here is really the last on the ladder. If you check the whole ladder, she's the last on line. And therefore, we need to empower her. She needs to know what are her rights. She needs to know how do I access all these services that are there f- for me. And above all, to be able to, 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 to empower her to enter into this business world that she can be able to do something for herself, mm. not to just rely sure. on, the, uh, on the spouse. And anyway, most of the time, the spouse is not there. Mm. So it is really to focus on the on the diaspora African woman empowerment in Africa. Well, talking about access, that leads me to come to you uh, uh, from the Women's Legal Center, uh, Huda Abrams Faker. I know that you work with access, especially when it, when it comes to the legal industry. Tell us a little bit about your work as an organization. Hi, good morning. Thank you for having me. Um, yes, our organization was established um, at the time after the Constitution and recognized that, you know, although you have a Constitution in place, women are not experiencing an improvement in their everyday lives. Like, uh, as an African woman, especially South African, we have challenges that others don't have in respect of our gender, in respect of our race, and in respect of our class. So those, uh, those are everyday challenges that women face. And with having a constitution as a tool, we're we using out the law to create change for women. So what we do is where we, women have challenges, we use the law to mm. address um, gaps, 
um, in the law and look at where there is discrimination against women in the law and use um, cases to change laws so that women um, can go to courts and have access to legal remedies. Mm. Um, so that's in principle what we do. But I mean, even though now currently South Africa has sound legislation in place, you, you have the challenge of being able to go to court and see are the, are the, um, is it being implemented? Mm. Mm. You know, so mm. even though you have the right to apply for an, sure. an application for an interdict, are, are, is the implementation of that? So it's a challenge that women have, and I mean, in terms of rural, just having access to be able to to get those resources and mm. being free of violence and being able to work. So if you're looking at gender parity and wanting to to have equality in the workplace, there are bigger challenges mm. before you even get there. Whether you can have education, whether there are schools close by, whether you know the the mother's the primary caregiver has the, the resource to be able to send the child mm, to school. Mm, mm. Well, I'm going to take a quick break and I'm going to come back and I think most of this conversation will be around that particular theme, excess, because for the African woman, that seems to be the main challenge, excess, 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 excess to education, access to legal systems, access to health systems, that seems to be where the problem is. Yes, we might have great policies in our different countries, but can those implementations unfold already and see women being more empowered, especially the poor woman in the continent. Hey, we're looking at International Women's Day. We've got UN Women, we've got the United Nations Population Fund, we've got also uh, the Women's Legal Center and the Africa Diaspora Forum giving us their views on our program. Hey, what do you think about women on the continent? Do you think they are empowered enough? Give us your thoughts by SMSing us on plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero. Let's take a quick break. We'll be back after this. Get to know Channel Africa and all the people who bring news, views, and great African entertainment. Bonjour à tous. Merci encore une fois d'être sur Channel Africa. You can now catch Channel Africa on DSTV Audio Bouquet, Channel 902. Channel Africa. The voice of the African Renaissance. Yes, you are listening to African Dialogue with me, Benjamin Moshatama. Today is International Women's Day. If you were a woman today, I hope someone is making you special on this particular day. And today we're looking at this theme that has been declared by the United Nations, Planned 5050 by 2030, Step It Up for Gender Equality. Now, I want to speak about the issue of excess because we, we spoke a little bit briefly about what needs to be done, the challenges that exist, especially for women. Coming back to you and from uh, UN women, in terms of that issue of excess, uh, what's the challenge there, especially for the African woman? That's a very big question, Benjamin, because access is exactly where we're trying to break the barriers that have existed for, for, for decades for women. 
Um, and what we are seeing is saying, where, where can we find the opportunities for women to be able to access, whether it's economic opportunity or political opportunity or even social opportunity? And so um, we're looking at access in many different ways. The one is obviously at the policy level and trying to say, how do we ensure that what South Africa has already done, which is to say we're going to look at employment equity. We're going to look and make sure that equal pay for equal work between men and women. Mm. We're going to make sure that in every single um, company, every organization, we're going to ensure that we're, we're, we're looking to reach 50-50 by 2030. Is this a pipe dream? I think it's possible, but I think we, what we need is to get the kind of champions that will lead in ensuring that access, access by women is possible. We have a big campaign, as you and women, called He for She, where we're identifying champions who are the heads of large corporations, a lot, head of you know, political mm, leaders, mm. as well as like academic institution leaders who are saying we are going to ensure that we're providing and creating opportunities so that women can, can actually access. South Africa has done a lot of work, with, uh, whether it's with BBEE or with affirmative procurement strategies or with uh, uh, parliament and being able to make sure that lists have, have numbers. So the issue of quotas, as controversial as it is, continues mm. to be important. And mm. the reason that it's, it's important is because we are then able to actually uh, measure and hold different institutions and organizations possible. But on the flip side, we have to be able to prepare women to actually take up that access. Hmm. Right? And, yeah, and, and I think what's interesting about that is that how do you ensure that access trickles down to the least of the least, to the most poor and the most vulnerable? And you work in this area, um, Huda, in terms of ensuring that people, uh, women of, from different parts of society access um, uh, legal systems. But what's the challenge in that regard? Because when we look at the legal system in South Africa, sometimes it can be a little bit too costly. Of course. And that is why uh, one of our services we provide is free legal advice. So any woman can come to our offices for free legal advice because I think before you even look at how they're going to access their rights, they need to be aware of what their rights are and that it is able to be protected. So um, in, informing women of what their rights are and what they're entitled to mm. would be the first step. So we do free legal advice at our offices, but we also engage with community-based organizations and have workshops and trainings so that women can understand what they, their rights are and how they can seek legal remedies. Um, and so on the issue of the costs of that, we then, um, that is why we follow the strategy of litigating um, using test cases, because when we challenge a uh, law, mm. um, then we change the law for the benefit of a community of women. Mm. So, so that is one way of, of, of achieving rights for women. But at the same time, we empower women so th and direct them to where they can go to access their rights. And we also provide support in that respect. Huda, in, in terms, yes. I, as much as your organization does all these great things, I'm sure there's a challenge of actually spread, getting the word out because people don't know where to go when it comes to course, uh, legal course. systems. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, even for us, funding is an issue because we mm. try and engage with rural communities. But, you know, uh, there's lack of resources. So to get there, um, it costs money. And then when we do, there are very few women that respond to us. Um, so it's definitely an issue. And that is why a key factor would be your community-based organizations, because through them, we use social media. We engage the language barrier is also an issue. So we have to engage with mm. communities in the communities mm. that they are in and in sure. the language that they speak. Mm. 
Mm. Which is also another challenge if we move to that issue of language barriers and come to the legal system. But I need to move on to you, Sainabu, and look at the issue of the vibrant population on the continent. We know that we have a growing youth population. It's vibrant. But also there's that challenge where they don't have much access to education. They don't have access to employment. There's a huge unemployment uh, problem on the continent. How do we deal with this, especially when it comes to women, where they seem to be the last in the chain as was highlighted by Dr. Janet Rogers. You are very right, Benjamin. Um, Africa is a youthful population. We have uh, in all of our countries more than 60% of the population being uh, below the age of uh, 35. So we really need to plan properly uh, for them when it comes to education, when it comes to access to services, and when it comes to, to employment. The challenge we are facing is really the challenge of, of, of education and, and the challenge of, of African youth being skillful to be ready to embark mm. on, on, on development. So that's, that's, that's the first challenge. Mm. The second challenge is access to, 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 their, their, to, to, to health services, reproductive health services. If you look at the, the region or the sub-region, and the sub-region where we are, you, 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 will, you, will, you will find uh, high prevalences of, of HIV, high prevalences of, of, of gender-based violence. These are not uh, factors mm. that, will, that will help us to move forward uh, the, at the pace that we, we want to move. You will find that in our region we have a lot of uh, child marriage mm. issues, and this hampered the, the, the future for for, for this generation, for the girls, for the, for the younger girls. It, 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 it kind of left them outside of the, mm. the, the development road. So we are facing huge, huge issue. But it's not like, I don't want uh, to appear like too pessimistic. Sure. There is um, the way out. The way out is to make sure that uh, if we want to be ready to embark on, on development, what we call in, 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 in our jargon, uh, the demographic dividend, there are opportunities within those large numbers of population. We cannot consider the youth of our region or the youth in our families as uh, a challenge. There are, mm. there are opportunities mm. for us to get where we want to get as Africa. Mm. But then there is a, a prerequisite. The prerequisite is to make sure that those young people are in school, are skilled, and are, are healthy. This is mm. how we will we will get to our demographic dividend. Mm. Dr. Janet Rogers, that's an, an interesting point as well that is made there, the, the empowerment of women. I think the, the woman that's very much disempowered on the continent is the migrant woman, and that's a big challenge. I can't imagine moving from a place that's of a place that you've known as a child as your own, your own home, and moving to another country because of conflict, because of social reasons, because of economic reasons. Um, how do we actually... In integrate uh, migrant women into societies and, and what are the key challenges and off air we're speaking about the access to information to resources and services in the countries where they migrate into thank you so much Benjamin it is a very serious issue indeed especially for the migrant woman here even if we take uh, South Africa in itself because you'll find that she comes here number one she has a challenge of language 
Uh, she has a challenge of getting the papers, the asylum or refugee papers. That is a whole nightmare in itself. If you go to the to Marabastat and see what they go through, it really is a challenge. And this is where the African Diaspora uh, Women's League is coming in, to be able to deal with that woman who cannot even speak the language, to be able to come into the office and be able to say, this is my problem. I went to this clinic, they didn't treat me. What do I need? Then we now lie as a partner with the, with, with the human rights mm. who give them a letter to actually be able to access and be able to access that, uh, that, that medical health. We, uh, the, the, the challenge of information, the challenge of language, the challenge of even being accepted in the society and, and, uh, and, and being able to work together is a huge challenge for the, for the migrant uh, woman. And more so when you look like, uh, even if you are to look at the sub-Saharan, uh, sub-Saharan Africa, you'll find that most of them, most of the women uh, give birth to around three to four kids. Now, if you are in charge with three to four oh, children, that is a uh, big milestone. That is a big. That's a big one, which mm. stops now the women from uh, from getting higher education mm. and being able to access this, and also even being having the ability to listen to radio. Mm. Right now, how many women are to listening listen, to yes, the radio? Those yes. who are in the low income. Yes. How many of them are even able to be able to use the internet? Mm. How, how many of them do have airtime in order to phone and be able to find out information? Those are serious basic challenges that are facing the immigrant woman. And we find that we need to work also with the religious community, mm. with the churches, because most of them will go to the church anyway. Mm. That's their starting point. Sure. Yeah, that is their starting point. The closest, yes, that the is the closest. Yes, that is the closest. Yes. So. Much as we are talking, we have good policies. The issue of implementation mm. and actually actualizing it mm. is where the challenge is. And you'll find the African Diaspora uh, uh, Women, uh, Women's League Center is partnering with, you know, women shelters, mm. Mm. education, uh, legal centers, that so that we can actually say that in this particular area, in this, and that is why even the launch took place actually in Yeovil, mm. because it's cosmopolitan. Yes. You have a lot of foreign uh, foreign women from all angles to be able to to to, to be able to come into the center. And even another thing was as we are talking about International Women's uh, uh, Women's Day, if we just move slightly from the immigrant woman and look at our own local girl, yeah. our own girl child here in South mm. Africa. We have one issue which I would like to highlight. Sure. Our girls here get pregnant at a very early age. Between the age of 14 and 17 and 18, they already have children in order to get the, the, the foster care, the upkeep, and the maintenance from the man. Mm. That is a very serious thing that needs to be addressed because it takes them out of school mm. system. Mm. And I think that you bring such an important point there about men also playing a role here and how yeah. they perceive women as well. And we'll come back to that. But I need to wrap up with uh, uh, the uh, director of the Women's Legal Center, Huda Ibrahim's figure, because she has other commitments and uh, she gave us just a bit of her time. Uh, Huda, how, how do we wrap this up in terms of ensuring that uh, we create a system that is accessible, especially when it comes to the legal system? We make sure that government is doing more 
to bring these services closer uh, to communities, just like uh, Dr. Janet Rogers was highlighting that the first place a woman would go to is not to town. They would go directly to their church or their next-door spaza shop. They go just directly to where they're located to get assistance. How do we make sure that we create a system like that, especially with the legal systems? And that's exactly why it's important to create awareness within communities Mm. so that where they turn to will be able to point them in the right direction. Um, So so I think that would be the first step. I mean, obviously, you know, uh, the legal resources is a way of of seeking protection. But in order to do that, you need to be able to have access in terms of practically and logistically is there court close to you and to be able to do the administration part of it and that is where government needs to play a role to say is it accessible how do we get to court you know so in terms of having a radius Mm. where there's Mm. access and then most importantly is the uh, the affordability so when you're looking at the people that play a role at the courts are they gender sensitive do they know are they aware of what the, the rights are and, and in terms of what women are going through when they apply for an interdict? You know, they are being traumatized. Mm-hmm. Or is the environment a, an enabling environment sure. to be able to make that application um, instead of being insensitive and saying, you know, sorry, but we can't help you because you need this form or that form, that mm-hmm. they need to be aware of the background um, and the challenges that women face when they first make that that call to actually um, seek legal redress. So mm. if, I, I think in, to sum it up in two points, it would be that uh, women are empowered and they are aware of what their rights are and how to access those rights. And when they take the step to access, that they are given the environment to be able to do that. Mm. Well, thank you for giving us your time, Huda. We'll continue with our other guests uh, from UN Women. We've got Anne uh, Kasuku Shongwe, and also we've got uh, from the United Nation, United Nations rather, Population Fund, Sena Butol, who is the Regional Gender and Gender-Based Violence Advisor. And in our studio, we've got Dr. Janet Rogers from the African Diaspora Forums Women's League. Uh, it's 11.33 Central African time. We'll continue this conversation after this break. What do you think about uh, the impact Empowerment of women. Do you think that Africa is doing enough to empower the African woman? Give us your thoughts. SMS us on plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero. Email us at info at channelafrica.org. Let's take a quick break. We'll be back after this. Channel Africa has some good news for you, the listener. The station now has an interactive voice recording system. This means if you want to leave a verbal message, you can now call on plus 2783-913-3000. You will be prompted to push a number for the language of your message. For English, you just press 1. So if you want to leave us a message which we can play in a later program and answer your question, play your message Remember to dial plus 2783-913-3000 and wait for the prompt to press 1 for English. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Okay. Uh, let's go back. Going back. Going back on.
Hey, I'm with uh, uh, having the conversation there with Dr. Janet Rogers and uh, from the Africa Diaspora Forum Women's League because we're just excited about this conversation. So we sometimes speak off air about these issues. But let me come back to our guests also on the line to look at uh, the issue of, uh, you know, the role of women, especially when we look at the new sustainable development goals by the United Nations. That seems to be an important factor. And uh, UN Women is playing a role in this when it comes to the sustainable development goals. Uh, you're probably pioneering when it comes to women issues. Tell us a little bit more about why women are so central to this new theme. Well, so, well, women and hold up half the sky. I think that's a well-known uh, <laughs> cliche. Definitely. Uh, and in many of our countries, actually, we're even more than 50%. But I think, as I said, you know, we have examples, and I'll just share that in Ghana, um, there's statistics that have come up from the World Bank that show that in Ghana, over 50% of the economy is driven by women. Um, and so even as we're in our struggle right now in South Africa trying to build up this economy, I would bet you that if we were to invest in getting as many young women as possible economically active, this would begin to transform what this economy is looking like and fix our rand. So the big issue with women is that we need to remove all the discriminatory practices that exist and open up the opportunities so women in all walks of life are able to, create, to have the access that we talked about earlier. For us as a sustainable development goals, we have now indicators that walk across these actual gender equality uh, indicators that focus on the discriminatory pr- practices and the opportunities that are specific to gender equality, but across all other goals, which include looking at water and sanitation, looking at affordable and clean energy, looking at... Um, employment, quality education, in every one of these sustainable development goals, there are gender targets um, that, are, that are really pushing to make sure that there is gender parity by 2030. And so what, has, what the world has agreed to and committed to is to actually um, hold ourselves accountable to ensure that women who are equal uh, in terms of their actual numbers, will have equal access in every one of these environments. So that's, that's our big responsibility. And in a, in a week's time, the world will gather together in New York at the Commission on the Status of Women to debate this issue and actually talk about what does the implementation of this look like. In, uh, uh, it, there at the General Assembly, Dr. Pumzile Mlambunuka held a meeting with global leaders mm. in September where 90 heads of state gathered together to make their commitments to gender equality in their countries. Mm. Um, President Zuma was not present, but he signed, he did send in his commitment. Mm. And his commitment was to three things. The one is to the eradicating of gender-based violence in this country. This is a big, big, big issue Mm. that we have to Mm. deal with in South Africa. The second one is that the growing number of HIV prevalence in South Africa with 1,700 new infections every week is an indictment on our country. Mm. We took our eyes off the work of prevention, Mm. um, and it's something that has come back to haunt us. We've got to save our girls or we have no future. We have no mothers in the future. The third one is about equal pay and equal work. So for the equal job, so Benjamin, in your job, if Mm. you have a colleague, so let's say her name is Naledi, Mm. Naledi will likely earn 25% less than you will earn Mm. just because she's a woman. Mm, that's sad. That's right? not right. And yeah. these, are, these are statistics that we're not familiar with, that we're not mm. aware of. Mm. Right? And so there is huge opportunity. There is huge room for growth in all areas of, of economic, political, and social life. But we're, 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 um, whether deliberately or, or inadvertently, are excluding women from engagement as equal partners. Sure. 
Sainabu, your thoughts there on the Sustainable Development Goals and, and what role they're playing uh, when it comes to this centralizing women in the conversation of what's happening in different parts of uh, our lives? I think the, the, the Sustainable Development Goals are comprehensive. Mm. And gender equality is critical to each of them. Any mm. of them that you pick, you will not be able to, to achieve it if mm. the principle of gender equality is not applied. Mm. So we need really to be focused, to be, to be close to our commitment when it comes to, to gender equality. As my colleague Anne mentioned, we have some achievement. We, we, we are proud of those achievements. We are celebrating, celebrating those achievements. But we still need to do, to do more. We still need to do more to implement our international commitments, our regional commitments, and more importantly, our national, our country commitments when it comes to gender equality. All our countries have accepted to, um, to, to have a, a parity when it comes to education. We are doing good when it comes to sending the kids at school at primary level. But then, when you move up, at secondary, you will find less girls. At tertiary university, you will find some, something like 10% of girls in universities. How do we want to play out development when more than 50% of the population is left out? Mm -hmm. We have mm -hmm. to make those really big strides for the women to get there. And mm -hmm. for them to get there, education is critical. Education is critical. Health is critical. We cannot make it if half of us are not in good health, in good physical and mental health. And Anne alluded to it. We are losing our girls in terms of uh, to, 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 to HIV. We are losing our girls to gender-based violence, to child marriage. Child marriage is one of the producers of maternal death. Mm. And, we, and it's possible, it's possible to sit down, to have a dialogue around those issues. This is what UNFPA is doing with the faith-based organizations, with the, the men's organizations. Mm. Because sometimes men are, are not aware or pretend that they are not aware. Yeah. But anyway, we have a strong network of men for gender equality that's standing up, that, is, that are supporting, that are working hands in hand with us, and that are saying no to those kind of discriminations or gender inequities. Mm. Because they, they, they see that it's not working out properly. Mm. I remember last year when we did a program on gender and violence and, and, and that issue, we invited men to speak about their conflicts because we thought a lot of the times you hear shows women speaking about the the hurt that they receive and how they deal with that hurt. But we never hear stories from men themselves talking about really how they inflict that pain and what they think about inflicting pain on women. Dr. Janet Rogers, your thoughts around men themselves becoming more part of this conversation, empowering women, because you can't just have a, a, a girl's show where there's a lot of girls having fun. Yes, a tea party, you can call it, but you don't have the men involved actually saying, hey, girls, can we pour that cup for you? You know? Um, that's very interesting because... Men are definitely perceived 90% of the time as the perpetrators for violence and uh, gender inequality in most spheres of life. 
But uh, I, from coming from a background of relationships and purpose, which mm -hmm. I do almost every other time, I would, I would say that uh, you really need to look at each case on its own merit because you'll find that women naturally speak, um, uh, a, a woman who speaks 7,000 words a day, <laughs> a man who speaks 3,000. <laughs> now, that already says a lot about that. I would say that we really need to teach our own women about equality of women first. They need to understand that they are an equal because most of the propagation of um, of uh, of the male uh, patriarchy comes from women themselves. They practice it. I have a woman who had come for the seminar. She 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 has given birth to five children because she was busy looking for a boy, mm. which means in her mind she's saying girls are not enough. Mm. I need a son. Mm. Okay, now that is challenging because if you, you as a woman are not educated enough to find out that, then to believe that if I have a child, if I have a girl, it's all right. If I have a boy, it's all right. But when you think that even if I have a girl, I still need a boy, the boy is going to bring something else on the table. Now, what are you really doing? Mm. Perpetuating the stereotype. Yes. Exactly, exactly. Mm. So, yes, our men need to be educated and told that, you know, you shouldn't abuse your sister. You shouldn't be. You, you should be able to have equal access, especially when the old man is dying and he wants to 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 write his will. How do we ensure that these men understand that what you give to your son, you also give to your daughter as the inheritance? Mm -hmm. But you'll find that a mother is saying, "My son must get double the portion." Mm -hmm. So. It's it's a tricky one, Benjamin. <laughs> as, as, as you as, sure, as you as, sure. as, as you can see, yeah. but we need to educate both the men and the women. When my son goes out, I tell her, I tell him, when you go out to to to, to watch a movie with your with your girlfriend, make her make sure you bring her hold. You don't bring her back home pregnant. Mm. Okay, mm. You, you you need to ensure that because only when men understand that and understand the value of the women and understand what they can do, mm. then we are going to be able to have better gender equality. Fantastic. It's all uh, it's all education. So sure, that's how we're going to wrap it up. It's been a great conversation. Thank you to our guests. Thank you to Anna Kisuku Shongwe, who's uh, representing UN Women. Thank you for making time for us, and uh, thank you to Sena Butol, who is the Regional Gender Gender Based Violence Advisor for the United Nations. Population Fund. She works in the East and Southern Africa Regional Office. Thank you for coming all the way into our studios, Dr. Janet Rogers. Uh, she's from the Africa Diaspora Forum and uh, she's part of the Women's League. Thank you all for giving us your time. Uh, happy International Women's Day, ladies, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you, Benjamin. <laughs> thank you so much. Great. Thank you so much, Benjamin. Thank you. And thank we you. Appreciate this Fan time. Fantastic. It's been a great one. Hey, what are your thoughts around this conversation? Remember, you can send us your SMSs on plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero, or you can email us at info at channelafrica.org. Well, Wisani uh, is settling in. He's getting ready to give you our economics news. Let's get that from him.
Thanks, Benjamin. South African President Jacob Zuma and his Nigerian counterpart Muhammadu Buhari are this morning set to hold talks aimed at strengthening relations between the two countries. President Zuma is in the West African nation on a two-day state visit. Both leaders will seek to improve their frosty relations between the two nations in their deliberations. International Relations Minister Maiten Kwanema Shabane says uh, President Zuma will urge the Nigerian government to clarify its trade regulatory framework to make it easier for South African companies to conduct business in that country. If the trade regulatory framework in the country is very clear and there was any deliberate attempt to undermine that, that should be clarified. But I think it helps a great deal if we both improve our regulatory framework in both our countries so that business people know exactly how to deal with this kind of challenges. Meanwhile, President Muhammadu Buhari says Nigeria only has itself to blame for its current economic troubles, criticizing previous governments for an over-reliance on crude oil. Africa's biggest oil producer and leading economy has been struggling with uh, the slump in global crude prices for nearly two years, which has slashed uh, the majority of government revenues. The country's oil ministry last Thursday said some oil-producing countries, including Russia, will meet in Moscow on March 20th to discuss a way out of the slump. South African Finance Minister Pravin Godan says he will speak to investors to clarify South Africa's economic plans. This amid the prospect that the country could be downgraded to junk status. Godan is in London as part of a roadshow to interact with investors. He will also visit Boston and New York. Godan says he is confident South Africa will emerge from its economic woes and avoid a downgrade. As a country, I don't think we want to get into junk status, nor does the corporate sector want to be in junk status, nor do workers who want their companies to be in junk status, nor do South African citizens who are going to face higher inflation, higher costs, higher prices for imported commodities or goods want to be in a country where we find ourselves in that position. And that's why we have the sense of urgency from all of us to work together to sell one South African story and to get people to believe in our story. The South African government says that the first exploration for shale gas in South Africa will begin in the next financial year. This follows years of postponement. According to government, the exploration of shale gas is one area of real opportunity for South Africa. It says the exploration will lead to excellent prospects for beneficiation and add value to the country's mineral wealth. Delays in awarding exploration licenses and lower oil prices led to firms such as Royal Dutch Shell, pulling back a year ago on planned shale gas projects in the onshore Karoo Basin. And finally, Kenya Security Bank Group says its full-year pre-tax profit has risen to 236.6 million US dollars in 2015. The lender, which is the biggest in the East African country by the number of depositors, said net interest income has increased. That's your economics news for now. Back in the last time with another update. Time now, let's move on and get our sports news.
Thanks for joining us once again. Let's start with football, where the South African Under-17 Women's National Team Bantwana is back in camp to prepare for the crucial third round of the FIFA Under-17 Women's World Cup that will be played against Nigeria. The match will take place on Saturday, the 12th of March, at the Abuja National Stadium in Nigeria, and the kickoff of that match is at 5 p.m. Central African time. The South African Football Association Referees Review Committee has sanctioned several top officials in the Premier Soccer League, the PSL, and the National First Division, the NFD, citing poor performance. Chairperson of the appointment of referees, Eri Soldato, explains. What has happened is, over the last period, we would have seen and personally witnessed that there have been certain far-reaching mistakes which had unfortunately been committed by our officials, And as a result of this, the review committee sat in adjudication of certain of those decisions and came to the conclusion that to the extent that there was guilt established on the part of one or more officials, that these far-reaching sanctions varying between four to six weeks suspension should actually be implemented, which they were with effect from last week. And now in tennis, sponsor Nike suspends ties with Maria Sharapova after former world number one revealed that she failed a drug test at the Australian Open. Sharapova claims she had been taking meldonium for 10 years for the treatment of diabetes. Sharapova, who turns 29 in April, hopes to be able to return to tennis in the future. I know that with this, I, I face consequences and I've, I don't want to end my career this way. And I really hope that I will be given another chance to play this game. And in rugby, South African Sevens Blixboke coach Neil Powell says that his team have nobody but themselves to blame for losing to Australia in the Cup semi-finals of the HSWB World Rugby Seven Series in Las Vegas on Sunday. The Blixboke finished third after beating host the United States in the third and fourth place playoff and remained in second place on the overall log behind Fiji, who were crowned champions. Powell says that he will need to have stern words with his team about their lack of discipline. Yeah, listen, we only got ourselves to blame for that game against Australia. I think if you give away six or seven penalties plus a yellow card, there's no way you will beat any team out there, especially in the knockout stages. So uh, only got ourselves to blame and uh, we'll, 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 uh, we'll have a few hard words over this week and uh, hopefully we can make our mistakes right over the next weekend. Powell also says that there would be consequences for players who lack discipline, especially when it comes to knockout games, and that his team will need to deal with their temperament in the heat of the battle. Yeah, it's, it's, it's tough. I think uh, we did address it this week, uh, the, the discipline thing in the, in, the, in the yellow cards, especially in the knockout stages. And at some stage, we, there need to be consequences if the guys don't listen. So, uh, like I said, we, we'll have a hard look at ourselves and... And, um, and we definitely need to up on our, our discipline, especially when it comes to the knockout stages where we lose a bit of composure um, in the end of the battle. And finally, in motorsport, the sports leading drivers have slammed Formula One leadership and in particular the chaotic introduction of a new qualifying system to make the sport safer, saying that it's confusing and unnecessary. Reynolds debutant Joylin Palmer says that he does not think that the danger element should be lost. Personally, I'm not for it. Um, the idea of improving safety is, is with good intentions, but I think personally the halo is, I think it detracts more from the human side of F1 and the, the history. I like the open cockpits, um, and I think it's important that fans can see drivers working, can see the driver's helmets at least, and, and really see who's who. Um, and I think it's motorsport, there's always an element of danger, and if we try and improve every single thing on safety, then it's where do you stop really? 
And that's the end of our sport. Stay tuned to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Well, that's how we wrap up our show today. Remember that uh, we come to you every Monday to Thursday at 1100 hours Central African time. You can interact with us via Twitter at African Dialogue. Or remember, you can send us your SMSs on plus 27796957930. Do you think enough is done to empower women on the African continent? That's what we're asking today. Send us that SMS or you can email us at info at channelafrica.org. Email info at channelafrica.org. That is our email address. Well, thank you for being part of the conversation today. We appreciate that you are always loyal to African Dialogue and Channel Africa. Coming up is Africa Midday, giving you the latest news on the continent of Africa. For me, Benjamin Mushatama, until tomorrow, God bless.